Graphic Nature acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and future and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does. It is my opinion, without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation, that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. Comic books are pure evil. Satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell. How a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me. We have found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents that. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance will be mine. It'll be mine. It'll be mine. Welcome to Graphic Nature, a fortnightly podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers, and people behind the printed pages and digital screens pushing the medium on into the future in Australia and the world. I'm Zorin Ilyevsky. On this episode, we're joined by Chris Gooch, storyteller, creator, all-round good guy, apparently. That's what I'm told. Thank you. That's, that's very nice. <laughs> so, Chris, how did uh, let's let's start off with the beginning. How did uh, you get into comics? What was your your first foray into comic, the comic universe? Um, well, I read them as a teenager. I read a lot of manga and then some superhero comics as well. Mm-hmm. Mostly just stuff from the local library and then lots of scanlations online. What um, kind of stuff in particular? Well, I liked a lot of like violent manga, sort of like Akira, Seinen kind of a stuff, mm-hmm. um, as well as like things like Rama, um, more comedy things. I feel like I went to the Northcote Library yep. and like the collection there for the period when I was about like 13 to 16 had like a really distinct personality. It felt like there was one person and they were buying exactly what they wanted yep. and I was just reading what was there. So I was reading yeah, what right. they liked. Um, and then, you know, I just read a bunch of Batman and Superman. I think I really, I think maybe I was like 14, 15 when I first read Dark Knight Returns. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen a Batman comic. Most, most 15 year olds do. Yeah. Well, males anyway, in particular. Yeah, definitely. You, there's <laughs> kind of like that window. And then if you, sorry, if you read it afterwards, it'll kind of be like watching Batman vs Superman, that movie. You'll just spend the whole time being like, oh God, why am I doing this? What, what have I done with my life? <laughs> I reckon there'd be quite a few people who would, uh, who, who would disagree with you on that one. But, you know, luckily, we're in agreement. Yep. And then I guess I didn't, like, I, like, like drawing in high school and then I went to art school afterwards and that's sort of when I started to actually try and make comics. Um, and each year I sort of progressed more and tried to do more pages. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of like, the, I did contemporary art studies at RMIT and I was always trying to decide if I could fit that into the coursework there and how much I was interested in contemporary art. The answer is like zero. So um, <laughs> when you say contemporary art, wh- wh- explain that um, for me, please. Well, so I guess like the history I was taught was sort of like, you know, Deschamps, Cubism, yeah, right. um, Paul, like all those kinds of people mm-hmm. who sort of like the Europeans gone to the Americans and then it sort of splinters off in all different directions yeah, yeah, yeah. now. Things like installation and performance art. 
and you know, like I go to I go to museums and, and stuff like that every now and then, but it's not something I want to dedicate my whole life to, really. It's very interesting because I've had this conversation with a lot of people, mainly who are not in the realm of comics or don't read comics. But for me, uh, I've been reading comics since I was about 12. And I remember going to uh, art school for about a year straight out of high school. I didn't last very long. And I had a huge problem with a lot of... with in particular with some of the movements in, in art and art history. And, you know, having grown up with comics and then someone showing me, you know, square and square and all that kind of stuff really kind of, uh, it's still to this, like I, ha- I still harbour ill feelings yeah. to, uh, <laughs> to my history teacher or art history teacher. I definitely had a similar experience. Yeah, right. My outlook now is more sort of, Relax, like you know. Obviously, it has value to some people. Yeah, go that, do yeah, it. yeah. I'm the same. Yeah. But as sort of an 18, 19 year old, I was like, I didn't mind that it was abstract or it was just a square, you know, Rothko or whatever. But I just remember being like, there is not enough content to actually write about this. Like, you're just making stuff up. Yeah. Like, you know, and I still think that to an extent. For me, I think contemporary art. Uh, I was talking to a friend about this, and we complain about art school a lot because we went through it. It seems to be like spiritual. It's like this sort of like a bunch of athe- bunch of atheists wanting like some sort of spirituality in their lives, and they go and have this sort of community experience. There's wine, and I don't know. It's a pretentious idea, but like I don't know. I've heard it heard it written about before, and I was like, yeah, that kind of reflects. It makes sense. Mm. It really does make sense. Yeah. Like when, now that I'm thinking about it, what you just said, it does it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, f- for me, I mean, I always looked at. You know, again, in particular, the square on square, and I can't, can never remember the artist's name. I think Rothko, isn't it? It, it might be. It might be. Uh, I, I just get so angry at it that I don't even care who did it. It was just, you know, the, the whole idea of uh, the, you know, how how the value in it is based upon the viewer and how it's, you know, all-encompassing and it's meant to focus your mind and it's a meditation on blah, 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 and I just get lost and I just get infuriated and go... Well, anybody can put a fucking square inside another square, I, you know? Yeah, that was my response um, initially. Mine more is now like you ignore, you know, everything about it that has no use to you. Yeah, you well, you get from it. that's unfortunate. Well, not unfortunate, but that's kind of where I've ended up Did you ever see them to. like in real life? Like, No, no, and... and it's a lot easier to tell somebody if there's a huge canvas in front of you and it's really impressive <laughs> and you can like, it's filling your peripheral vision. Like the Pollock stuff I thought was like garbage until I, I saw one, you know, the one at the NGV and it's like, you know, it's, it's actually pretty cool. And look, don't get me wrong. A lot of the times it, it is a very different experience when you look at something in a, you know, in real life versus a photograph in a, in a yeah, history always. book. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, but again, it's uh, I think it was looking at some of Dali's stuff very recently in the last year or two at the again at the NGV, and being able to see the the, the paint strokes and things. Yeah, like that. Yeah, I'm always surprised you know, by how much detail you can see and how he made it. Yeah, but you yeah. know, and and that kind of stuff from a technical perspective for me is kind of like wow, this is amazing. But but in terms of like like you know that whole overarching art as an idea, it's kind of uh, I you know. I look at the work that people do in comics and I go, that's so much better. So, you know, they, they've poured their heart and soul. You know, it's, people talk about, what was it? Was it Matisse who was doing all the cardboard cut, the cutouts? Oh, Maybe. 
It might have been. Look, uh, you know, this is. I'm just showing how much I paid attention in art class. I'm on the same page. It's all, <laughs> you know, in one ear at the other. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I need a story. Even when it comes to comic books, I definitely, as a reader, I, I prefer yeah. narrative to abstract. And I think it, I, I was talking to someone recently, and, and that whole divide of when people say collector versus reader, and it always kind of, I, I still kind of. It strikes me as, as strange when someone says, oh, yeah, I collect comics. It's like, really? Is it, do you read them? And, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. And it's like, well, that's really strange because I'm a re- I, I don't collect them. I read them. They mm. just so happen to bank up in a bunch of boxes at, at home. But, yeah. I have never gotten into that. I never had the disposable income to ever do that. But um, It helps I, if you work at a comic shop too. Yes. Yeah. Which I did for many years and... And uh, unfortunately, I do spend too much money on... Well, not too much. I think I'm a fairly reasonable collector. When I was working at a shop, I had people... I, I'd see customers come in and they would blow 300 bucks. And this is when the dollar was really good back in the day. Um, I, I still like boggle my mind. Like I'm, you know, I've got a budget that I have to work to. Yeah. It's... I don't know. I mean, I guess it's, if they weren't doing it with comics, they'd be doing it with somebody else. It's... I suppose it's consumerism, but mm. if it makes people happy, I'm glad that they're purchasing art. I'm glad they're reading. I feel like those things have an inherent value in them. Well, they do. Yeah. They do. Okay, so sorry to cut you off. <laughs> so you're in art history, uh, doing art school, and you're getting sick of it. Oh, yeah, and I started, um, I started making comics. First on the side, sort of, I wasn't including them in the coursework, and then more and more I just sort of, said i said fuck it i'll um <laughs> i'll i'll just submit this as as my like coursework and see how it goes and it mm-hmm. went fine i mean i never really got like i got encouragement but never a whole lot of informed feedback even yeah. though some lectures what, are really lovely do you nice. think that would mainly be because it was outside of the scope maybe of yeah, of yeah, the yeah. like they definitely had a background in painting and video art and stuff mm-hmm. i found that the like sort of the area where I could meet with the lecturers to talk about what I wanted to do was films. Yep. So a lot of them had like a really, you know, knowledgeable interests and, and some of them had made sort of like genre, like shitty, crappy, horror, yep. like fun stuff. And I'd imagine that the reason for that being is because comics and films are fairly similar yes. in, in the way that the mediums work. Mm-hmm, visually, in fact, basically. Yeah, like when you read a comic book script and it's always like, you know, wide shots or yeah. zoom in on the camera does this, the camera does that. Yeah, so I started making some some short stories. I met Brendan Halliday. Yep. And he was really lovely and encouraging and helped me print some stuff. Nice. He published a couple of the ones that are in Deep Breaths, the short story collection I have now. Mm-hmm. He published those in sort of like a, a like a one-man anthology kind of a thing. Yep. But we only did two issues and then we put out like a collective version. Mm-hmm. And then I, yeah, I just finished up at art school doing short stories. Towards the end of it, I was starting to write or trying to had the idea that I wanted to write a graphic novel, do a longer project. Yep. Finished art school, started working at Squishway Studio, started working on that graphic novel, and yeah, that's just a couple of years ago now. Um, it took me a couple of years to illustrate the graphic novel. It was called Bottled. Um, maybe two years? Yeah, it would have been about two years ago, wouldn't it? Be? Yeah, that was mm. a great book. It came out 2017, but it had been ready for a whole year because I basically finished nearly all of it. Mm-hmm. And then tried to find a publisher and was rejected by everybody except Top Shelf who were kind enough to publish it. Well, actually, let's let's talk about that. So so 
they've also published Deep Breaths, which is out now. Yep. How's how did you get connected with them? Was it was it just a basically sending sending pages, sending like how how did that happen? Um, I had done some cold submissions to them before mm-hmm. and had sort of like, you know, encouraging polite rejection emails okay. back. Pat Grant knew them because his book um, Blue, Blue, that's right, yeah. not published by them but distributed. So he was really lovely and encouraging and supportive and wrote like an intro email and uh, I sent them. It would have been the pretty much the second to last draft of Bottled, but the first chapter coloured everything else just black and white. Yep. And then I sent it to them sort of at the end of the year and they went on this long break and I spent like two months just being like, oh God, what am I going to do if nothing happens? I'm going to have to self-publish this. I just like wake up in cold sweats at night and I'd be like, oh, I can't do self-publishing. I'm so bad at it. But yeah, no, they, they published it sort of on the condition that, yeah, that, that I wouldn't sort of just do one book with them and then, you know, fuck off and, yeah, right. and you know, dish them. and That's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, like if, I, I don't know. Yeah, they're really lovely. I feel like they are interested in, the vibe I get is that they're interested in having yeah. sort of like a, an ongoing relationship with the people that, whose work they publish. Yeah. And then, yeah, so I went through a final round of revisions and it came out September... SPX, whenever SPX was 2017, I went over for that. Nice. It's a small price fair. How was that for you? It was all right. I mean, SPX definitely felt like turning up to a summer camp that had been going for five years and everybody knew each other. And you're like, <laughs> you know, you're sort of like, oh, God, who are all these people like, I don't know, like spending three hours, no, 30 hours traveling there. It doesn't really put you in the mood to socialize. Yeah. You're kind of exhausted. <laughs> you're like, but, you know, I did my best. I met some really lovely people. Um, Aaron Nations, I, I met him. He was really lovely and mm-hmm. I really like his comics as well. Yeah, and then from that point onwards, I mean, I'm still at Squish Face. I've just been working on uh, my second graphic novel yep. called Under Earth, which is like a prison genre thing. I Sort of around the time I finished Bottled, I was sort of looking at the types of films and audiobooks that I would listen to and thinking about, you know, does what I'm interested and excited to engage with match up with the type of work that I am. And to an extent it was, but mostly like I was going to the cinema to go, to go watch like $20 million, you know, genre films. That's what I'm excited for. Like, you know, Snowpiercer, um, Bong Joon-ho had Parasite come out recently, like best film I've seen in like years and years. Um, So I made a, a concerted effort to try and branch out when I was writing. And Under Earth is my attempt to, you know, do a first long-form genre piece. And it is a, like, near-future sci-fi um, dystopian that's kind of what, story. Yeah, that's kind of what I got from it, yeah. Mm, that's what that, in fact, that's exactly what I got from it. <laughs> so you're, you're nailing it. Uh, with, uh, with Under Earth, how did the process now... I think my copies have they've, they've been stamped by Creative Victoria. Yeah. So that was done with a grant uh, under a grant kind of process. Yep. So I started writing it a long time ago, 2016, and I did a full thumbnail draft for for this one. I wanted to not start with a script, but start with the images themselves. Yep. Something I watched a documentary about Miyazaki, and he was talking about pictures leading narrative, not words leading narrative. You know. So I wanted to have it feel very cinematic. Yep. So I did this draft. And then I finished Bottled, and then it came time to sort of look at publishing it. I was talking to Top Shelf about it. Um, we agreed to do 
the short story collection and also Under Earth, yeah. which at that time was going to be like two or three years away from being like out. So I wanted to self-publish it basically yeah, um, because it's quite large. It's probably about 550, 600 pages. Uh, it's not something I could really afford to do by myself, especially I wanted to Rizzo print it because Rizzo is so lovely. So I pitched it to Vic Arts, Creative Victoria, and the project was, you know, give me money to print and distribute this. Mm-hmm. And along with that, I organized uh, like all these community events, mostly with like libraries doing workshops and little launches and artist talks and things to make sure that there's also like a yeah, community outcome. So yeah, 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 yeah. It's tax dollars, you know, people in the community need yeah. to get something out of it. Yeah, so it's coming out two, I've self-published two of the three installments and and so uh, okay so creative victoria uh so they're giving you money for the print and distribution yep and where does top shelf come into it top shelf are not really to do with the self-publishing they will publish the collected version uh-huh. which will be spot colored right like the the rizzo is just a single color print mm-hmm. the collected one will look like bottled and deep breaths and have yeah right thing. okay well there you go shit yeah yeah um, you know what you're doing I mean, like, sort of. <laughs> Everything else seems to be going to shit. The comics are doing okay, I suppose. That's what matters, yeah. Chris. That's what matters. The comics are doing great. <laughs> well, I read Under Oath, uh, well, the first two, uh, and well, the first two installments, and it's it's really interesting. I, I still don't know where it's going, but but I'm I'm loving it. Yeah, it's a weird because it's definitely not designed to be read in installments. It is a right. essentially like a 90 minute to our film mm-hmm. and you're reading it like reading or watching 30 40 minutes and then you have to wait like four months five <laughs> months to get the rest of it well that, that's a pretty good deal though isn't it yeah i mean i make them cheap that's one of the really nice things about this grant that you know they eat the costs yeah so i can it's basically sold at production costs they cost about nine to eleven dollars each to make depending on the pages yeah. and everything and they're printed with sam emery who is true paper Oh, yeah. And also bound by Glum Press, Mark Pearson and Michael Hawkins and Press. Oh, awesome. And what was the application process for, for the grant? What um, was that like? Well, that's one of the few things I really got out of art school is learning about that. They had uh, a, okay. a program on the side that anybody in the university could access where it was sort of like, how to put it, like low stakes, small amounts of grant money. Like, you know, you get 500 bucks or whatever to do a project. But in doing it, you learn all about how you budget and how to pitch and you know referral letters and everything mm-hmm. so um yeah mostly so basically just making a case for why they should give you money yes making sure you box tick like you want to make sure that they think that you can actually complete the project you yeah. want to pitch and that it has community engagement and that you're not a shithead yeah so yeah, like, yeah fair enough <laughs> Blow, blowing blowing their cash on the shit you want yeah <laughs> so now you've got Deep Breaths, which mm. you mentioned earlier. It's come out. And this is, a col- this is a collection of stuff you've done before. Yeah. So it's like a selected collection collection of selected works from the past five years. Second year of art school, maybe six or seven years, actually. So was, it a, was it a cherry pick? Did you, did you have a whole heap of stuff or did you kind of go, uh, I'll just chuck that one in? Um, I had, I probably would have had about, so it's 200 pages. I reckon I probably would have had three. 50 pages if I was to include everything in it yeah right okay but you know some of the stuff I just can't stand so I don't want it out yeah. there I don't want it widely distributed or anything so these are my favorites of 
the short stories that I've done. And was there any editing before you put them back in? Or do they, they stock stay, they are lifted exactly the way that they were printed prior, except for, you know, additional kind of fixes? Well, they went through the coloring process. A lot of them were just sort of black and white. Mm-hmm. So I chucked a spot color on them. Yep. Going through some of them, like uh, the one to make them grow, for anybody who flicks through it, it's the yellow one. There were just like parts of it. I was just like, I can't stand that drawing. I have to fix like a head, like that person has no neck, so I have to go in and change that. And so there was like a selection of of, um, of changes throughout all of the older ones. I'm not sure how much of it people would notice, but yeah, I kind of did that for myself. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine that you would. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's stuff I wrote 20 years ago that I'm looking at now and I'm like, oh, fucking Jesus Christ. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the process of making anything. You kind of have to, it's like, looking at something without making eye contact with it <laughs> like you, you gotta you gotta get it done but you're not you can't look too closely because that's such self-doubt too much or just be like oh god i hate this yeah yeah gotta redo it all mm-hmm. get stuck in that revision and and what was the did you have criteria as to what stories you're going to be putting in there because because <laughs> upon you know reading it there were there were quite a few stories in there i thought i thought holy shit you know there's like three pages in here that just kicked ass that f- I think it's the first the first story, uh, the orange one, right? So, buddy, the first the first story. Oh yeah, the little horror one. Yeah, that was that. We, uh, you know, I don't get kind of put off by comics much, but I reading that and I was just like, this is creepy. Thanks, man. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm glad that that's uh, <laughs> that's your take from it. <laughs> yeah. So it's. Mostly it's about 30 to 40 page comics, but I think there's three or four sort of real short ones. Even though this is kind of, you know, material you've already done before, this stuff really kind of knocked out of the park for me. I was, I'm actually impressed the, the way that you've come about a lot of your stuff. And even with Under Earth, it's just, you're, you know, you, you're getting, like I go, wow, this is really good. And then the next one's like, holy shit, this is a lot better than that one before. And you're doing really well, man. Like, you, like yeah. I said, even though this stuff has already been done, the way that you've managed, for instance, the buddy story again, you know, in a matter of three pages, the process for that story, like how, if you remember, how how did you edit it? How did you come about it? Because it's so just three pages, punch. Um, well, that one was for VoiceWorks, yep. which for anybody who doesn't know is, uh, I think it's government funded or partially quarterly, maybe twice a year, literary journal for people under 25. Mm-hmm. So comics, poetry, yep. all types. Um, so their pitching process was send us a draft. So I just Googled eight. How many panels are there per page? Let's count them. Eight. There's eight <laughs> so I just Googled eight panels or whatever and dragged like a template from Google Images and sort of had like the beats on a dot point piece of paper for what I wanted to happen mm-hmm. and just tried to cram it onto three or four. It's three pages. Three, yeah. Tried to cram it on three pages. And sort of you just cut them out and rearrange them do the best you can. So I think starting, like I was doing that digitally, which is really handy because you don't have to erase. And yeah, yeah, you yeah. can literally just drop and drag. And then I sent that to them and they said, yeah, sure, give you the, the money for that. So I then just drew it with pencil. Actually, it's four pages, sorry. <laughs> so there was, what was the editing like in that? Did, was it, you know, did you spend a lot of time on it? Like, I'm assuming that it, this whole deep breaths would have had uh, an editor going over it or with you speaking. Yeah, that, that, no, not that. Did they did they do any of that? Um, oh, I have such a terrible memory. I think maybe a little bit. For definitely a very light touch for this one. Yep. A lot more feedback for Under Earth and then sort of bottles in the middle of them. I think 
there was, I mean, there's limited scope for them to be able to do that because most of the, the comics are very finished, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I just sort of sent, I think talking to Staros, the guy that runs Top Shop, I just sent him a, like, dump of all the stuff I could think of and then chose the ones that I liked the most from yeah. them. Okay. I guess, like, yeah, go for it. Well, Emma, which is the story about, uh, on the, about the train. I think it's the only nice story in the whole thing, maybe. That was a really good story. It was really nice, really nice. The uh, so yeah, you had Buddy and the the other one that freaked me out, which was is it the Lord of the Flies. Oh, I want to make it grow. I believe. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah, you mentioned it earlier. The, the yellow one. Yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ, that was harrowing. Kid. And I don't know if it's because I'm reading it with the context of what's going on in the world today, but uh, it was it was uh, it was a it was a compelling read. Let's say that. Thank it you. Was, yeah. <laughs> this one's actually. I wrote this in high school, actually. Like, you had to, we had a, I think you're 11, mm-hmm. sort of, you could do a, I guess, a short story instead of, like, an essay, so I did a short story, and that was the basis for this. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it was still pretty different, but, yeah. So, the, so you, you would have obviously gone over that story before before you would have done this? I think I just did it based off the memory of it. Yeah, um, right. It's also based on, like, when I was a kid, we were, what, in, like, grade one, we used to pretend we were psychics and be able to bend spoons. And, like, in retrospect, it was sort of just, like, a little, I don't know, like, social hierarchy engineered by one or two people to really keep control of a bunch of tiny children in their friend group and maybe bully a couple of people outside of it. Mm-hmm. Just So, basically, like, every other, you know, yeah, I mean, group of children. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> oh, again, that was one of the other stories that really just kind of freaked me out a bit. And I think because of its... Uh, because shit like that actually happens, and it's and it's kind of weird. It's surreal, like reading it and going, "Yeah, I can see where the you know where the where the shitty kid can can get those types of ideas. This is how I'm going to do it." And you know, mm-hmm. it's uh, I'm trying not to give it away, but but still convey what happens in the story. But yeah, yeah, I think one of the things that I really like about that time, being a kid, in terms of narratives, is that you know you you basically know what's feasible and what's not but you still kind of exist in this fuzzy state where what's possible the parameters haven't been completely set (laughs) like you know maybe you could be bit by a radioactive spider and become spider-man you don't know that for sure and then there's obviously the darker side of that like you know maybe ghosts do exist i remember having nightmares about vampires and you live in this world that's i don't know just like weird and vague and kind of like all the more frightening for it for a short period as a child that's what i liked about that so for the next few, so for the next couple of years, you'll basically be working on Under uh, Under Earth. Hopefully, I'll have finished it by the end of the year. Yeah, wow. So I'm a little bit behind, but I would definitely have part three out, Risograph printed, mm-hmm. late December, early January. Do you had and and Top Shelf are okay? They know that this is that you're doing that. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was um, something I spoke to them about. That's in the contract. I'm allowed to self-publish X amount of. Oh okay. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. Um, I think they figured that, like, as many as I could sell, it's still not very much. Um, <laughs> and and Creative Victoria, okay with all of that? Because it's all separate, right? That's kind of how that works? I suppose, yeah. I mean, I let them know. But, yeah, right. And um, no one's like, yeah, here, here's the check. <laughs> Isn't that how it works? There was a section where you had to be like, who else are you affiliated with or something? Oh, like okay. That? Sort of like a declare it for. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. yeah that's understandable. And then... I have a couple of other projects. I tend, I have this thing I do where I write, 
the next project while I'm illustrating the current project. Makes sense. Yeah, so that you don't, I can't write it and draw something at the same time. Otherwise, you know, you you're just like this is garbage and you get stuck in that that rewrite loop. Yeah, and how and how 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 have you in the past kind of gotten around that? Because I imagine if you're doing that, you would be constantly changing and fixing and. Well, I'm definitely guilty of it. I do it a lot with illustrating mm-hmm. because for the last four years at least i've just been doing long form stuff yep which means that you start illustrating and then by the end of it you're better which means that you used like flick at the back of the book and it looks good and you go to the start and it's like there's a discrepancy <laughs> said every comic artist ever yeah, yeah i think pat grant did the same thing when he did blue i remember speaking to pat grant did he ago. go back and revise yeah he, yeah he so yeah by the time he got to the end of the book mm. it looked it not necessarily looked different, but it was a lot more refined. And so then he went back and drew the f- uh, pretty. I've, I'm pretty sure he went back and then redrew the first half again. First half. Wow. I mean, yeah. I'm 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 pretty sure it was a conversation that was like it's been at least two or three years. That that sounds about right. I've definitely done a lot of redrawing, a lot of revisions, particularly on bottled, because I had this long lead up until the. Like we signed off and it was essentially finalized. Yeah. And then there was a long lead up until the publishing. I had the opportunity to go back and probably do too many revisions and waste too much time get stuck <laughs> in that loop. <laughs> yeah. um, Under Earth, I think I'm on, a, I'm on a tighter deadline, but I'm still going to have to go back and change like a bunch of panels. Mm-hmm. I was flicking through the other day, actually. But in terms of going back to the original question, like essentially it just gets to a point where like it's good enough. You just have to, you know, put a line on it and say yeah, it's yeah. done and you put it out there and you try not to think about it. Like... <laughs> try yeah <laughs> i have a list of things i'm really looking forward to doing at the end of the year you know like play a video game i haven't done that in a long time yeah right um so that's probably how i distract myself from. maybe see some friends yeah yeah i mean that's the one <laughs> go, thing go on a holiday i draw i have a crappy part-time job and i see my friends that that's my schedule week to week doesn't sound like a bad schedule no and how do you work with the juggling of work and and doing the comic and can it be tough well, I only work jobs that are sort of like casual or part-time and I, and I structure the rest of my life around them. Yeah. I imagine that's kind of hard day-to-day living though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, in terms of like the work-life balance, like I'm not very good at it. I tend to get sucked into it. Which Plus, part? The life or the work? Oh, the, the comic work. <laughs> yeah, not, right. The, not the part-time So yours job. is like work-work balance then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you just do your best. That's all I'm doing at the moment, just doing my best. You're listening to Graphic Nature. We'll return right after this short message. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, we are all over social media. Well, not all over it, but we've got a few. We've got Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please jump on Facebook and like us if you're enjoying the show, as well as following us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find all the details on the website, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. This has been a Graphic Nature public service announcement. How are you getting received at, at conventions and stuff? You you feel like things are, you know, those kind of things work out for you? Well, the only conventions I do are zine fairs. I'm mm-hmm. not like a supernova or a Comic-Con yep. kind of a person. Mostly I find because like, I just, you know, my work doesn't really fit in there. I know it does for a lot of people. Yeah. But mostly I feel like those events belong to teenagers who want to go and do cosplay and hang out with their friends. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. See some big race celebrities and stuff like that, which is cool, but that's definitely their space. The zine fairs I like. I think if you're making comics, particularly in Melbourne, like that's kind of probably the core of your practice. Yeah, like yeah. for everyone I know who is real serious about making comics, the zine fairs kind of decide their schedule. Yeah, yeah, right. So release so it on that one and release there. Sticky, the sticky zine fair, mm-hmm. home cooked, 
Indie Comic Con, which is a newer one, and then Other Worlds in Sydney, which yep. I try and go up to when I can. So yeah, that was my next question. And have you gone to other states with some of their some of their stuff? Do you even go to like maybe in some of the regional conventions? Have you tried them? I've been meaning to. I just haven't managed to figure out my schedule. Most of the time, I sort of look on Facebook, and it's like, oh, that was yesterday. So, <laughs> like, I was busy drawing. Yeah, <laughs> um, scheduling's not my my forte, but I would love to. I mean, it's a lot cheaper than flying anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a whole group of people that you know. It's I'm sure it's a real pain for them to come to Melbourne. Do you try and get your stuff into stores around Australia? Is that part of the Creative Victoria like? Um, do you do that and how did you get around doing it? So for uh, Deep Breaths and Bottle, Top Shelf handles that. I mean, you know, all of oh, yeah. Diamond and, yeah, yeah. and then also Penguin Random House and stuff. Mm-hmm. For Under Oath, which I'm self-publishing, I actually have been holding off doing that because I had to print. I didn't print enough of the first volume. So I was really slowly running out of those and I was like, uh, you can't sell volume two without volume one being there and same for so does three. that mean that this is a first print does that mean like all the ones that you now put into well what do you have does your one copy say second printing on it no on it doesn't front? okay that's the first print then um yeah. so i had to do a whole nother version <laughs> a whole nother sorry a whole nother print run of volume one and now i have way too many of them so i am <laughs> trying to get them in stores they're at all star sticky and readings currently mm-hmm. So you've printed a certain amount of Under Earth at the moment. With the distribution of that, would it be better or worse to kind of maybe just keep it under wraps rather than, let's say, pushing it out to Australia-wide in this kind of version and then maybe let the collected version... Yeah. Is that, you know, is that your thinking? Is that why? Well, I don't really know. I definitely went through the self-publishing process with the plan being mostly to sell them at sort of like talks I did or yep. predominantly scene fairs. Mm-hmm. I also have to charge a little bit more than I would prefer at yeah, a, yeah. At a um, you know, like they're $10 from here to Zine Fair and they're $15 in a store because the store obviously is a store and they have that's to right. run and take the yeah. cut and that's very fair. But yeah, shit, what was, what was the original question? Oh, it, was, it was more about the idea of the reason why you've kept it, you know, you haven't really kind of taken under earth. I think it's mostly there. just that I have to spend all my fucking time drawing at the moment. <laughs> Like it was, it was that like I had a limited supply and I was really stingy about them and now I have too many, but I have this deadline and I have to fucking draw all the time and get that done. And I just like don't have time for too many emails and I'm bad at responding to them anyway. I don't think that's a you thing. I think that's a everyone thing. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody likes emails. People that do are fucking weird. Yeah. I hate doing it, but it's uh, unfortunately, you you know, you kind of have to. And in my regular day to day job, that's probably my responsibility, which sucks (laughs) sucks <laughs> yep but you know you got to do it have you thought about taking some of your stuff again like overseas yes now that you've got a, a bit more under the under the arm well i was really lucky when bottle came out i got to go to the u.s and then also bruce mutard organized a caravan of comics and we went to bruce yeah, bruce he's everywhere that dude yeah <laughs> yeah he's, he's definitely a very skilled grant writer I, I imagine so i mm. imagine so so i went with Sarah Firth, Rachel Lang, Leonie Braley, Bruce, that's everyone, to Lycaf in the Lakes District in yep. the UK, which was nice. They have a little festival down there. I guess it's not that little. We went to do that. I haven't been anywhere outside of Australia since, mostly because that was fucking exhausting. <laughs> but I will be going to the US next year. Yeah, right. Which is always a weird experience because that place is like... To, to, a, to a festival? Yes. New York Comic Con, maybe. Okay. I like to try to do 
to go there for one of the more commercial ones and see what they're like. But you know, I they're think it's always, have you ever been to one? I've been to SPX and Cake in Chicago, which Cake is definitely my favorite one. I've heard really good stories about Cake. It's really lovely. Yeah. Everybody's really friendly. It's like the perfect size. So, so yeah, the, the New York is probably the biggest outside of San Diego, I believe. Yeah. And I went to San Diego many years ago. I heard that that one is a fucking shit fight. It is insane. Yeah. It is insane. It's not. That's <laughs> definitely not for me. No, no, no. Chris, I don't think you understand. It's insane. It was four four days of just... Was it like insane amazing or insane exhausting? And oh, it depends on, depends on the side of the coin that you, you yep. choose to look at. I suppose me back then was never been to one so it was huge and it was it was a huge thing and it was amazing like everything was just it was it was crap everywhere it was people everywhere and the accessibility for a lot of the creators was was actually for for a huge convention was not was pretty open like you could go up to speak to anyone uh, that was around yeah i met i met so many the only person that i really wanted to meet that i didn't meet then was brian k vaughan Right. He was the only guy, the only writer I met. Everybody else that was my favorite uh, and some people that weren't my favorite. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, and in saying that, I mean, like, I didn't like them. It's just that, you know, you want to meet yeah. other people. But, uh, yeah, it was it was uh, insane. So if you're going to New York, it, it's it's one thing you have to do. Like, you've got to do it once. I know there's a bunch of crew in the Melbourne community that go over to San Diego every year. Right. And yeah, I just, you know, I haven't been, I went there 10 years ago and I just haven't gone back. And it's, a, it's just one of those things you have to experience. Yeah. I think it also might be my last one for quite a while. And then, yeah, I probably am not looking forward to going back to the US anytime soon after that. Uh, how have you dealt with criticisms for your book? And do you, do you actually get, like, do you get constructive criticism from, from like fans or from, from, you know, people external to the process? Well, the part of, for uh, Bottled, Under Earth, and any long-form project I do going forward, an important part of that is workshopping it mm-hmm. before I commit to finally doing it. So I've certainly gotten a lot of feedback for that. For a lot of these short stories, I think just in terms of the time frame that they're made on, not a lot of feedback comes into it. Yeah. You know, Maybe I'll talk about the idea and people sort of tell me what they think of it or something like that. But mostly before it's produced, very little feedback for short works yeah um and then again like most people are pretty nice like i have a like a very mild level of success so i think i still seem like a real person yeah i think there's like a so what you're saying is when you get really successful yeah well i kind of expect (laughs) myself to stay where i am now for for the rest of my life but i remember you know charles falsman who does like the end of the fucking world and all those fantastic comics i remember seeing a post from him he was talking about like how like because he has the success that he has now he has a netflix show everything um like the criticism that he receives is much harsher yeah because he doesn't because you're seem, at the top yeah, yeah he doesn't seem like a real person to people or someone i guess when people write this stuff they wouldn't imagine that someone with that success would ever read it so i don't know but yes essentially i get pretty limited negative feedback that's great yeah constructive criticism mostly always welcome it's always Mostly. a little funny, like putting something out, just working for it for ages. I, my, my, the opinion I have is like, when I finished it, I spent fucking forever looking at it, and I know what's wrong with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just have to put it out there. That's kind of the rub, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, like whenever I go to a movie, I feel like I'm paying to sit down afterwards for 30 minutes and complain. That's part of the enjoyment. So if anybody <laughs> wants to do that, their friends or in their blog or whatever, I get, you know, no problem with that at yeah, all. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think I've had much criticism really. 
So when you're workshopping, are you just throwing things at the wall or? Oh, definitely increasing the workshopping. That's mostly like, um, for example, for Under Earth, I had the thumbnail draft. So, you know, digital sketches, the whole thing. You mean, and so you, you're saying the whole 500, 600 pages. You've, yeah, yeah, you've, already, you've thing, pretty yeah. much already done it. Yeah, yeah. In thumbnail. Yes. Okay. Um, and I've done several different drafts of that because I've been going since like 2016 is when I started doing that or whatever. So yeah, the types of, uh, for Under Earth, the types of responses I was like, I don't really understand this character or this character needs to be more developed. Under Earth specifically, Pat actually said, he was like, I thought the, the fight scenes were too samey. Um, you know, too much just like somebody with a rock hitting somebody in the head with another <laughs> rock. Like, like. Which is funny. Yeah. I like, I definitely like that stuff, but I think I can be overindulgent in that. So I, I went back since that thumbnail draft to the to finish one to try and make the fight scenes i don't know be a bit more interesting yep. so for one of them there was just repeatedly lots of people fighting so essentially a fighting montage um i slimmed it down cut a, cut a lot of the punching out and intercut it with the person the character who's fighting like inspecting all their bruises and their cuts in the mirror afterwards or whatever which then transitions into the next scene which which it will makes a lot more sense and and makes it for a better reading too. Yeah, yeah I yeah. mean that's the point of workshopping. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's, I mean, it's nerve wracking, really, but it's you kind of have to do it. With fight scenes, I have a big problem with them. I, I get it. I understand. Like everybody knows what a fight scene looks like because they've seen a bazillion movies, mm-hmm. and I think that you know when a comic does a fight scene for more than a page, it gets really old. I. I definitely agree when it comes to American comics. I think manga is just like peak. They know exactly what they're doing. You really need to be able to feel like the bodies move and feel the punches connect. I'm really not a fan of sort of, you know, the typical American, you know, Superman, his punch completely extended and the guy recoiling, you know, the big splash page. You know, I want to see like Akira where it's just like it's a specific snapshot time when somebody's like getting really hit in the face and everything's concaving and like you can see the eyeball <laughs> popping out. Um <laughs> Like I want like that moment of energy. That's that's what I want to see in my fight scenes, film and comics. Yeah, yeah. And so, a lot of the stuff that you're doing uh, ends up printed. Yep. Have you ever entertained going into the digital realm? Maybe. I mean, I was thinking about it. Uh, maybe serializing something mm-hmm. like online, but I don't think I would ever produce a, something that's specifically designed to only be viewed on a smartphone or a you know web browser. And those types of comics are definitely the best. Yeah, yeah. That you can you can read, but I think most of my stuff will eventually like will be aimed to ultimately be in print, because you know those are the really positive experiences I've had. You know, reading a book in bed is like I haven't I don't really read a lot of web comics myself. Let's talk about your influences. You've mentioned a lot of film, but what types of stories uh, are you are you mainly drawn to? Um. Well, when it comes to the films and audiobooks and just narratives that I really love, it tends to be genre subversion. So something that I'm vaguely familiar with that will often, you know, take a different turn, mm-hmm. um, often intertextual. So it's a commentary on the types of films itself. Yep. Snowpiercer is a fantastic example. I mentioned that one before. Like that movie's a mess, but it's all about like revenge films and like trying to do as much as you can in a film again parasite without spoiling it is such a fantastic film because it transitions between these different genres yeah right so effortless effortlessly um i do like some horror films as well i as a sort of like late teenager 
early art school, I watched a lot of like Korean thrillers, like mm-hmm. Old Boy, um, I Saw the Devil. Those were, were a big influence, I suppose. But nowadays, I mostly just watch like the occasional good film and just marvel. If I want to go to the cinema, I want to get like a beer afterwards and complain about how this specific niche thing in the superhero movie didn't work the way I wanted it to work. <laughs> Like more and more, I find that like I just dedicate my time to drawing, yeah. hanging out with friends, and that when it comes to the media I'm interested in, it's not necessarily about having a real emotional or intellectual engagement. It's more of a zoning out. Yeah, right. Becoming my dad—that's <laughs> fucked. Like, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> more specifically, what about you know reading other books? Do you read comics. other comic books, or do you stay away from them for any particular um, reason? Well, in terms of comics and graphic novels, I tend to sort of do like a lump purchase towards the end of the year. That doesn't sound like a lot of comics, Chris. No, I probably read like 50, 60 a year, which is not a lot. And I tend to read them in, in you know, lump amounts. Manga I sort of come and go from. At the moment, I don't actually read that much. Yeah, right. Um, apart from what I get zine fairs, you know, you go around, you buy everybody's yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I get a lot of those. Yeah, to be honest, mostly it's film. Mostly it's TV. There are a couple of really good comics that I've read recently I've read. How I Tried to Be a Good Person by Uli Lust or Lust. This is fantastic. Cool. All right. Well, Chris, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That's the end of this episode of Graphic Nature. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use. It'll be greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts regarding the show, feel free to send us an email at feedback at graphicnature.media. You can catch me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more information about the show, visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing in your handy web browser or search engine, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. Uh, Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Credits! Written, produced, edited, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio consultation and additional production. Archie Cuthbertson, Dan Moore. Credits announcer, Simon Winkler. Theme character voices, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham versus Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast.